Welcome back to SEL Convergence. This is episode 39. Friends, I am overjoyed to have one of our dearest friends, Dr. Krista Lay with us. And I emphasize doctor because that's relatively new. Krista, hello, my friend. Hi, Tom and Mike. I am absolutely thrilled to have a chance to continue talking with you. You are two of my favorite people ever. And I mentioned to you earlier that when you say doctor, I still giggle like a little child because <laughs> it is so new and it seems very surreal as well. Well, I hope you keep giggling because that's a really healthy thing to do. Really healthy thing to do. So for our listeners, uh, I had the absolute privilege to sit in and witness Krista as she defended her dissertation. And I was making note after note after note because her dissertation applies to everything we're doing in education, everything in social emotional learning, diversity, equity, inclusion, access, trauma-informed care, wellness, resiliency. And the, the first word I wrote, Krista, I don't think I, I shared this with you, the model, the word I wrote, elegant. It was an elegant, elegant design. So can you share with our friends uh, your emergent theory and, and put some meat on those bones? I definitely can. And I did not know you were taking notes the whole time. So this oh, is- I love it. I love it. I'm looking forward to, to hearing your questions and what we'll talk about. Sure. So I went into this process being very curious about how superintendents lead the process of within district integration. And what that essentially means is when we start looking at redistricting or busing and moving students from one school to another, it could be for a variety of reasons, whether it's for curriculum purposes, like my, my personal experience has been, um, or because one of the buildings is becoming overcrowded. And so within district just means with not between districts. And so, you know, in Pennsylvania, we have 500 public schools and public and that there's more than that when we count private and charter. Um, and so we have districts who are right up against each other. So there's, it's, it's a lot, and there's a lot of inequity between districts, but we're really focusing on within district. And there's a lot of inequity there too. Yeah. Um, so when I started looking into the data and the research that had already been done, we know that integration, school integration for socioeconomic purposes and racial purposes is wonderful for all students. It benefits everybody. And there was a lot of qualitative data. And there was also a lot of research done about how organizations did this process. But there wasn't anything about how a superintendent as a district leader navigated that process. And the reason I think that's incredibly important is because superintendents are hired and board approved, and they can also be fired and let go by the board. They don't have job security. So if things don't go well or the community is not happy, there can be a parting of ways. And I was curious to see what some of the personal thoughts and processes and emotions that a school district leader went through knowing that this was what was best for students, but also knowing that there, what, there might not be job security at the end of that. 
And the emergent theory ended up being three different parts that were very interconnected to each other. I really thought it was going to be a lot about structural pieces and how they navigated the integration process, the redistricting, busing, uh, that type of a thing. But actually what ended up happening is it was very much about relationships and about people. And I really tried not to go into it with an SEL frame. Mm -hmm. And so I really put that off to the side and I let the data tell its story. And so I used what was called a grounded theory process, a constructivist grounded theory process. And so I tried to put any preconceived notions aside. And what emerged from that data was the school leaders who I talked to really had a very strong sense of who they were their core values, their beliefs, what they felt was best for kids and right for students. And they were not afraid to challenge their own thoughts and preconceptions. Um, And when they had difficult decisions to make, they went back to the core of who they were, what their mission and vision was, for education and for students. And they really leveraged that strong sense of knowing themselves to build relationships with the community members, with the students, with the staff members, with families, and with um, those living in the community and business owners. So let's that so that's the first of three, correct? The strong sense of self? That is the first of three, correct. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. So you mentioned right off the top that they were clear on their core values. And I'm actually looking back at my notes from witnessing your dissertation. And one of my notes says they actually lived their values and their strengths. So as you were interviewing and dialoguing with these superintendents, were there some common values that came up or were they completely different across the four? That's a great question. They knew that they were very strongly grounded in fairness and justice, Mm. that what was best for one person was not always best for everybody. And they were okay with understanding that equity meant access to resources. And so there's a lot of conversation, I think, in society around equity versus equality And they had a very clear sense that not everyone had access to the same resources from a very young age of just being born to being an adult. Mm -hmm. And being white males in a superintendency working in districts that had racial and ethnic and socioeconomic diversity, they were very sensitive to the fact that not everything was equitable. Mm -hmm. And they were open to learning and hearing people's thoughts um, and sticking true to being open and transparent and committed to all students. So that transparency, in my experience and in my reading, that transparency requires courage. Did, did they share any of that with you? Did they share any challenging experiences with you? Absolutely. The one piece that jumps up for me 
in particular around courage was being able to, they solicited feedback from the community and from students and from family members, and they truly listened, even when it meant that they may have made a misstep or made a mistake or hurt someone's feelings. Even though that wasn't their intention, like one superintendent in particular ran into a former student and said, hi, how are you doing? And she's like, actually, I didn't have a really great experience when you were a building leader. And this is what happened. And he said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that this happened. What can I do to try to make it right? Mm -hmm. And continued to work with that former student who was in their early 20s and connect them to resources and people to help them obtain um, access to a secure job and further education. One of them talked about learning more about his own biases and prejudices. And I say that with a pause so that people understand that we all have biases and prejudice. It's human nature from, I prefer crunchy peanut butter over creamy peanut butter. That's a, a, a bias, right? right? Um, but he was open to somebody saying to him, you know, this is what you need to look at. Or when you didn't reach out to the marginalized teachers during the riots after George Floyd was murdered, we felt disconnected because we wanted you to reach out to us. And so having them talk about where they could have done something different and were humble about it. And that to me showed a lot of courage. Um, Or courage also looked like defending teachers who were trying to create physically and emotionally safe environments for all students and honor all students' perspectives. And maybe parents came up and said, I don't want this being taught or I don't like this club or that. And the superintendent said, this serves a purpose. We're not telling students what to think. We're giving them space to dialogue and learn about each other. And I think that takes a lot of courage as well to protect that space for students to grow. Again, really anchored in their core values and and acting on those core values is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And even to the point that one of them said, as a white male, I'm aware that I'm working in a predominantly non-white district and do they deserve a non-white superintendent? Wow. Said, probably. He said, I've grown up here. I have worked, I graduated from here. I um, taught here. (laughs) I love this place with my whole heart, but if this is really what the community felt was best for them, I would leave. And that just like. Yeah, I'm amazed. I am absolutely amazed. That's incredible. Yeah. That's not only courage, that's, uh, that's love. Yes. That's love for his community and is for, for the human beings in that community. Yeah. And putting them above his own, his own desire to want to help them, putting needs above them. Yeah, that's incredible. What's the second piece you discovered? Um, 
Yeah, the second piece is about building trusting relationships. So there were a couple pieces in the second part of building trusting relationships. The first is that they engaged the community. So they created a, a forum where people could feel safe to share their thoughts, their concerns, their fears. Um, and there were explicit norms. So people could share and disagree with each other, but they shut down name calling. They shut down disrespectful language and words and yelling and really made sure that it was a safe place. One of them talked very specifically about that. Um, they they invited people to share, tell me your thoughts. And it allowed, one of them shared how having community members share their experiences, even though they had very different experiences, like one who didn't have children um, in the district and was older and one who had children and was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how hard this was on the people who've lived in this committee community and are older and are on a budget, the amount of money that this can increase. And so just having them see different perspectives, they opened up that dialogue. Um, the second part of that then was not only creating the space where they could have this dialogue, but validating everybody's voice. And so they didn't shut anybody down. They didn't say, that's not true. This didn't happen. Um, they met their needs with empathy. And I think that that was really important. And were willing to shift with new information. So they had an idea of what they wanted to do or what they thought would be best based on a committee. But they were willing to hear perspectives and shifts. So for instance, one of the superintendents talked about that to realign the buildings, it was actually going to break up some students in a high school that had been tight and close together. And the students really begged. He said it was actually a very diverse group in this high school, but because of space, they needed to do some shifts and the location of where these students lived was closest to the other school to shift. And the students were so upset that they had been together for so long and they understood the need to shift, but didn't want to lose their network, their community that he said, I changed plans. We went in a different direction because students we're talking about how powerful it was that they had been together in a diverse group and that by me trying to rebalance, it would have actually broken apart that group. I don't know if I've ever heard that before, that a superintendent so, so listened to and so much cared about students that in this case, he went in a different direction. That's amazing. What an incredible act of empathy. And actually, and you and I discussed compassion. Yes. Kindness with action. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting because two of the superintendents showed their care for students in a little bit of a different way. They weren't the ones who sat with the students, but they searched for who they thought would be the best fit to come in and work with students. Okay their voice to solicit feedback from the students and then take it back to the district. 
And two of the districts, the superintendent was that person. He would come into the buildings and have a group where, and the one in particular was the students who were most often in trouble. That was his group. And he hung out with them. He talked to them. He had them do, um, he would take them out down to the elementary schools and have them connect and do readings in the classrooms. He would connect them to um, the police and the fire department so that they could build relationships beyond what may have happened stereotypically, right? So they could develop that more positive or, um, and so it was interesting that the care for them, while they all, all four of them cared very deeply about the students, the way that they they demonstrated that was different, where two of them had direct connections to students and two of them brought in somebody else. So if I hear you correctly, it can work, it can work either way. Either, either those individuals who want to have close contact with, with students or those who find the right person to do that. Correct. Yep. Okay. And, 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 and what's, what's that third piece that you mentioned? Um, well, there's the, the third piece under building relationships was that they realized that they could not do this alone. Okay. That this was not, they were maybe the district face, but they were not the one that could drive this. It was a group that, of people who needed to, to take this on. Um, and so they talked about having a very supportive team, whether it's administrators who could balance each other. And by balance, I mean the people who are not afraid to tell them, I disagree with you. I see things differently or had a, a different skill set that accentuated their strengths because it was not a strength of the superintendent. And so they were very careful to ensure, kind of like Abraham Lincoln, it reminds me of where he brought in people close to him who had um, different views and different strengths. Yes, about. absolutely. One of, one of the best examples we have of, of a president who consciously brought in people that have di- had different points of view. Yes. And they co- they created committees and groups that empowered like-minded people where we know we have to do something. Let's get together from parents to community members, to students, to staff members, and let's work on this together because it can't be one person who's driving this. And I truly don't think that any of the work that they did would have been as successful as it was had they not really known who they were and been very strong in their why and their values and the willingness to learn from other people and then cultivate the community where people felt heard. And even if they didn't like what was happening, they could understand other perspectives. And I think that led to the very last core piece of the dissertation, which is the aligning systems for organizational equity. And that's really what I thought I was going to hear about a lot, but it ended up being really heavy on the relationships, which makes me very happy. Absolutely. And, and it really solidified the idea of cultural competency in our district leaders and the sense of what is termed as relational trust. And Brick and Snyder 
talked about that and Paul Zach, who I know you really read, um, that had to be their first to move into the organizational shifts in the structures. If I'm not mistaken, it's been a long time since I read Brick and Schneider, but that could go back to the 90s. It does go back. Yes, they have been around for a while. Chicago um, Public Schools. I just remember being told all throughout my master's program that don't look at research that's beyond two or three years old because it's not worth it. Yeah. But it is. It really is. And if research is still that significant years later, like they did a fabulous job and we need to look at it. And Brick and Schneider did that. Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy you said that because I have so many friends and friends that you and I both know that uh, are pretty adamant about that. You know, the research has to be within the, in the past, in the past 10 years. It's like, yeah, I, I get that. I want to be aware of that, but boy, what, what is valid is valid, you know, and, and we need to learn from history. Yes. And if it still holds up and people are finding that the new data, the new, their new findings relate back to that, that strengthens that work even more. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to shift just a tiny little bit away from my notes as I was witnessing the dissertation to ask you a question. So you, you dialogued with, you researched for what, what sounds to be pretty outstanding superintendents. They were amazing. I would have worked for any of them in a heartbeat. So what type of leadership do we need right now? You mentioned the word courageous earlier. Yeah. And I wholeheartedly believe that that's what we need. And what that looks like in my mind is keeping what is best for students at the center of every decision that we make. Even if people's initial ugh <laughs> is to not like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to be open and to listening to people's concerns, actively listening, not listening to respond back, but hearing people's fears and concerns and connecting together as a community. And thinking, I, I think back that in so many places in Pennsylvania, I think our students grow up in a district and at least in my area, they come back in this district. Mm -hmm. They come back in. The, and so we want people who are having the skill sets to know who they are and how to connect with other people. And in order to keep our communities thriving, we need to keep them growing. And so we're really educating, as you know, our future. And yeah. for yeah. a lot of us, it's really close to home. You mentioned two key words connected to today. They listen to fears and concerns. Yeah, many, many, many schools that Krista and I work with started back this week, if not the past two weeks in some places across the country. And I think it's pretty valid to say most folks are afraid and, and many people have concerns. And so I, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts that uh, that relational trust building, that relationship building, can you can you dig in a little bit deeper for our listeners what that might look like now? Yes, there's 
four components of relational trust. The first is respect. (laughs) So talking about being able to listen to somebody, to, to try to hear what they're saying and where they're coming from and treating people with respect no matter what. So even though we might disagree on something, let's still be able to connect with each other and talk and hear things out and be a role model for kids because many of these conversations are happening in a forum where people are zooming in or listening in now, especially our students. Right. And so let's demonstrate that. Let's be the adults for our kids and show them that we can talk to one another in a respectful way and what it looks like to treat somebody with respect, even if we disagree. Um, The second part of relational trust is having personal regard. And that is truly caring about the people you're serving and that you're working for. And all four of them had a deep, deep love and for their community. And I think it's interesting that they had, I mean, they had bumps along the road, but ultimately they were able to move and process with their community to integrate and to shift schools. Some of them had done it multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sense of personal regard is important because people trusted that they weren't there to make a name and move on to somewhere else. Right. All four of those men had had longstanding connections to the community, either had worked in the community from teacher to administrator up to central office, or two of them were actually living in the community and their kids were going to school there. Wow. So I think that that personal regard was very evident. They weren't living outside of the community, coming in to do a job and leaving. Um, The third part is competence and core responsibilities that people trusted that they did have the student's best interest in heart, that they were able to do their job effectively. And I, they demonstrated that in many ways um, in our conversations and Part of that too, I think going back to courageous leadership is being able to say to somebody, I know you're afraid, but all of our research shows that this is what's best for kids and we need to go in this direction, but the way it looks can be a little bit different. So let's talk about the process, even though we know that this is where the outcome really needs to be. And the last piece is personal integrity. living what you say you're going to do and walking that that talk, living your core values, um, acknowledging if you made a mistake or you hurt somebody's feelings or maybe you missaid something and fixing that and rectifying that relationship and moving forward. Um, and all four of them had stories to demonstrate strength in all four of those pieces. Just a a, a curiosity on my part. You and I have the privilege to work with many, many different administrators in many different areas. Is this a certain, these skills, does it require a certain personality or do these skills work with any personality? Wow. (laughs) It's just a curiosity. I love that question. I don't, I think you can change your personality 
to fit your core values. So your natural inclination might be to do one thing. Like I know you and I've talked before, I'm very introverted, but my core values require or ask me to be extroverted in some situations. Uh So I think you can shift your personality to meet your core values. And I do believe that all of this can be learned, that these skills can be learned, that culturally responsive leadership can be learned. It's not, I really don't think it's an easy journey from personal experience of just continuing to learn and grow in that arena. But I think that's, again, where the courageous part comes in. I think if you're willing to lean in and learn with other people and put your ego aside, um, that it can be very fruitful, a very fruitful process. And speaking of processes, one of the superintendents blew me away because he talked about that this whole thing was like bamboo, And that bamboo ends up becoming very strong and sturdy and it grows very quickly, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it needs an extremely strong, secure foundation in order for that to happen. Huh. I didn't know that. That's, and I I didn't realize that as well. And he said, we have to create that really strong foundation. And so that takes a lot of time to set that foundation, to create that culture or that environment where things can start flourishing. And so really then the structural piece where they did start looking at redistricting or grand, you know, or giving students the past, like we can grandfather. And if you're in your fifth grade year, you don't have to change next year, you know, next year, or if you're, so they, they started really listening to what people were saying and, and offering different avenues, or they were, offering staff opportunities for professional learning so that they could become more culturally competent and responsive and and sustaining in their classrooms. Um, But that would not have happened had they not built the relationships Mm -hmm. first. It's fascinating to me. I I love what I'm hearing. And I loved when I listened uh, the first time to your dissertation defense. Core values are essential. And building trusting relationships are essential. Yes. So is there anything else uh, from the research that you did, from your defense that you wanna make sure our listeners hear? That it's a journey that they demonstrated to me that if we keep our eye on what is best for students, People might not understand the direction we want to go, but we just can't do it on our own. We do need to go together. It might take a little bit longer, but if people see our passion, our commitment, our intent, and then start developing a perspective taking for like understanding each other's perspectives and being willing to go on that journey of learning about each other and what's best for the community so the community can thrive because when the students thrive, the community thrives. That it's possible. The counter narrative that I brought up in the dissertation was that I'm aware of a situation where a superintendent wanted to do a very similar process and it would have been best for curriculum wise to have 
third, fourth, and fifth grade together in one building instead of across three different buildings. But in shifting those three different buildings into K1 and 2 and 1, 3, 4, 5 building, it would have mixed students from different socioeconomic statuses and different um, races and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. And it was a very quick process. Mm-hmm. There was a committee put together from second hand. I heard that people didn't feel heard in that committee, that they felt it was just a process to check off and to move through. And while the district did redistrict and those shifts were made, which to me is a win. Sure, sure. Superintendent, the board changed over because they were so unhappy with the way that it happened. And the superintendent parted ways with the board and uh-huh. moved on. And so I think that there's a piece in there that how can we continue to serve and move our communities forward? Yeah. yeah. So as, as we as we come to conclusion tonight. I, I want our listeners to hear because many of our listeners are teachers, counselors, special education, social work, etc. They're on the front lines every day. What are some things you would recommend to all of those wonderful, wonderful people? How can they support their courageous superintendents? And I feel like adding in what can they do if they need their superintendent to be more courageous? Please, please do. I think if you're an educator, to to know that you do have a sense of influence and can help your students feel physically and emotionally safe, no matter who they are in your classroom, Mm -hmm. that that should be a non-negotiable and and build those relationships. You can build relational trust with your students. So everything that the superintendents were doing at the very large scale with the community, you can do with your students. Thinking about a focus on respect, personal regard, core competence in your or competence in your core responsibilities and personal integrity, and reflecting on that regularly, allow allowing your students to have a voice and feel safe in that voice and validate feelings and thoughts, but also understanding that. The line, at least the line for me, and Tom, you and I've talked about this, is a James Baldwin quote, that you can have your thoughts, you can have your your opinions, but when your opinions and thoughts hinder my humanity and and try to erase my sense of self, that's not okay. Yeah, yeah. And the more I work with districts... We need administrators who are not afraid to stand up and say, this is what's best practice for all students. And many of our teachers just want to know that, they, that they're backed up and that, um, that they're working in a district that keeps students at the center. Dr. Krista Lay, thank you so much for your research. Thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your ongoing integrity in helping all the schools you work with be the best they can be. Thanks so much, my friend. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share my passions.
It was a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you.